0: Good evening, everybody. It's time to begin our service this evening. Tonight we will have three songs, and then Rick will have our reading and prayer, one more song, and then Chris will have our lesson this evening. Our first song is number 531, Praise the Lord. If you would, let's stand for this song. Five thirty one, praise the Lord.
1: <clears throat> praise the Lord ye have and
0: song is number 950 950 lamb of God Till Our next song is number two forty-three, two forty-three, home of the soul. After this, Rick will have our reading and prayer.
2: The reading that Chris has selected for this evening is Proverbs 16:18, one verse. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before stumbling. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come before you at this time, acknowledging your greatness, your glory, your majesty... You supreme control over all that we know and much of what we don't know. We give you glory, Father, because you are our creator. You have given us life. You have given us your word so that we can know, as part of your creation, how to serve you and please you so that we can be acceptable in your sight you have given us the most precious gift that we could ever have, and that's your love that you demonstrated through the giving of your Son to leave his heavenly estate, to come to this earth, to live as man, but to undergo so much more than any man will ever have to undergo, and the fact that he brought you to us, that he brought your word to us, and that he suffered and died for being your son. We pray, Father, that as we worship you this evening, as we go from day to day, that we will always keep your love for us and his example and love for us in front of us before us so that we can use him as our model for what we should strive to become in our relationship with others, in our love and devotion and commitment to you, and in our willingness to sacrifice ourselves for others. We pray, Father as we often do, that the things that we do here this evening in worship to you will be those things that will please you, will be according to the pattern that you have left us in your word for how you want us to attend to this portion of our love to you when we come in a corporate gathering like this. We pray for this congregation that it will be what you want A local group of your body to be that we will strive in all that we do to serve you to worship you in spirit and truth when we do come together and to take your message to those around us we pray father that we will always be mindful of that obligation To share your gospel with others. Help us to remember to do that. To take advantage of opportunities and even make opportunities to do so. For we live in a lost and dying world. We pray, Father, that you be with those who lead this congregation. That we will make decisions that will help this congregation be a faithful church of yours, that we will do everything we can to make sure that the decisions that we make on behalf of this group will be in accordance with your will and will help us grow in spirit and in number. We ask that you be with Chris later as he speaks with us, that he will have prepared himself so that he can effectively deliver uh, the message that he has for us. Father, as we study the lineage of Christ through his messages. Help us to appreciate all that you have done for us in the way of making sure that we can know that the Savior that we have is the one that is spoken of in the Old Testament and the prophets and in the history that we encounter as we go through this study. Father, we would pray that you be with those who are suffering whether it be from illness, whether it be from loss, whether it be from whatever the case might be. We we pray, Father, that they would turn to you for strength, that whatever means are being used to attend to their issues, that those will be successful and that they can once again be restored, not only physically, but back to us um, as well. As we mentioned, Father, we thank you so much for the sacrifice of your son. The love that he demonstrated as he went to the cross on our behalf to take on our sin so that we would not have to bear the punishment of those sins and that we could be forgiven of our sins. Help us to be mindful of the fact that we are weak and that we are sinful. We ask, Father, that if we have sins charged against us at this time, that as we repent that you would forgive us and we know you are faithful to do so. Father, we would ask that as we continue through this worship that we do everything we can to obtain the most from having been here. We ask this prayer in your son's name. Amen.
0: Our song of invitation will be number 380. 380, just as I am. Now, if you would, let's stand and we'll sing number 834. 834. Salvation has been brought down.
1: Jesus gave his life a ransom don't on Calvary on now Calvary Oh, glory, praise the Lord. Salvation has been brought down. Go and shout and tilt the world around. Oh, preacher, Tell today, tell today, preach the word of God that we might win our crown.
3: Good evening. Grab your Bibles and be turning to the book of Second Chronicles. We're working through the lineage of Jesus found there in uh, Matthew chapter 1. Rick was talking about uh, during his prayer. Uh, this has been a, an interesting series for me to study through, just to kind of put together all the different players that, uh, that transverse the Old Testament and how they work together. Um, and how God has used these incredibly broken people, incredibly flawed people. Uh, If you go back through and you read Matthew's genealogy, he seems to cherish bringing up stories that you probably wouldn't bring up at the family reunion. (laughs) Matthew seems to want us to see that God enjoys working through broken people to bring about his plan of salvation and his mission on the earth uh, to, to people. And so he points out several of those characters, and tonight's uh, lesson from Uzziah is no different. Second Chronicles chapter 26 is the, the section in Scripture where you learn Uzziah's story. You also find him in, in the book of 2 Kings. He's got about seven verses in Kings, and they're all negative. Remember the difference between Kings and Chronicles. Uh, Kings is all about whose fault is the exile. Uh, why have the Jewish nation, why has the Jewish nation gone into first Assyrian captivity with the northern nation of Israel, which we 're getting very close to during Uzziah 's day. Uh, the last five or six kings of the northern nation of Israel come in rapid succession. Uh, one will come and he 'll reign for a year or two years, or even in some instances a month or two, and then he 'll be assassinated. His assassin takes his place. He'll reign for a year or two or in some cases maybe only a month and he'll be assassinated and his assassin takes his place on the throne. We're coming very closely up to the end of the northern nation of Israel. Those last four, five, six kings die in rapid succession until finally the Assyrian Empire comes in and they demolish the northern nation of Israel. They're still no longer a nation. The people that you know today as Jewish people come from the lineage that we've been talking about uh, here in the southern nation known as Judah. And so, we're very quickly getting to that point. In fact, uh, Uzziah is going to be... his son will be the last king that knows a king in the northern nation of Israel. And so, we're, we're just on the brink. Um, they can see the Assyrian threat. They've been seeing it for a while now, but during Uzziah's day, it's very prominent. Uh, and, and that threat is coming. And so... Uh, if you look there in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, you get Uzziah's story. We know him from the book of Kings, like we were talking about just a second ago. But again, his story in Kings is very short. Um, <clears throat> let me finish my thought from Kings, the difference between Kings and Chronicles. Kings points out whose fault was the exile. It was common thinking during... Uh, during the exile and, and, and uh, right after it, that maybe Yahweh had failed them. Maybe Yahweh had left Israel. Maybe He wasn't strong enough to keep them out of exile. Both the northern nation that goes into Assyria and the southern nation of Judah that goes into Babylonian captivity in 586. Babylon comes in and they destroy the, the southern nation of Judah. They destroy the temple. They destroy the walls. And years later, they have to rebuild all those things. And so... Jews during that time period, especially during the exile, must have been tempted to think God wasn't strong enough to keep us out of exile. Uh, The Babylonian God, this Marduk God, he, he is stronger than Yahweh because the Babylonians have conquered Judah. And Kings sets the matter to right. He says, no, no. It's not God's fault that you've gone into exile. In fact, Israel, it is your fault because of your idolatry, because of your immorality. God is punishing you. And so the exile is punishment. Chronicles looks at the same, same event, the exile, through a different lens. He's not concerned with whose fault is the exile, he's concerned with the next question the question any reasonable person would ask themselves after having answered. The first one, correctly. First question, obviously, being the question that King's answers, whose fault is the exile? When you figure out that it's your fault, Israel, because of your idolatry and your immorality, God has punished you, the next logical question a reasonable person asks themselves is, can we have a relationship with Yahweh again? Or is He finished with us? Is He cutting us off forever? Or is there hope that we could be His people once Again? Chronicles answers that question in the affirmative. There is still hope. God was punishing them. The exile was punitive. It was corrective. Uh, But there is still hope for them to be in relationship with God. So when you look at the book of Kings and you you interact with the kings like we have throughout this series, you'll find their lives being painted in a darker shade. Uh, He criticizes the kings in an effort to show Israel that it's their fault. The exile is their fault. The chronicler wants to show you a maybe a broader picture, at least a different picture, of many of the kings. These are complicated characters. It's hard to say well, this man was evil and this man was good, especially when you get to the southern nation of Judah. The kings are complicated. Now, in the northern nation, almost all of them are evil, wicked kings. Just... Riddled with idolatry and immorality... ...they're all, seem to, almost all of them to a man... ...seem to be set on destroying themselves and their nation. And you just cannot talk them out of it. Elijah and Elisha, along with several other prophets... ...prophesied to the northern nation. Jonah prophesied to the northern nation of Israel. They cannot seem to convince these kings... ...and the people to do what's right. And so, they are destroyed... The chronicler wants you to see Israel and the kings through a different light. He paints a more complicated picture of these men uh, who reign on David's throne. They are sometimes good. A great many of them are good and make good, righteous decisions where they trust the Lord to fill in the gaps and to hold them through these awful situations that they find themselves in. But then... It seems like the next verse says, well, they also fell back into sin. So they started distrusting the Lord and they made these awful, truly awful decisions that led to their own destruction and the destruction of their peoples. So Uzziah is in that second category. He is a good, righteous man, but he also has his fault. And we'll talk about that today as we try to learn what, we, what God wants us to learn from this man's story. These stories are here for a reason, right? All of scripture, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, is God breathed, right? Every word is important. And so why did God write this story down for us? What's significant enough from this story that we need to be te- thinking about it 3,000 years after the event? Here, here's this story and then we'll talk about... What's going on? Let's read the first couple of verses together. Second Chronicles chapter 26. Let's start in verse 1. And all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. Amaziah was, again, a complicated figure. He is not a great king, but he's not a wicked king. He has his good points, and in fact, kings will call him a righteous king. He gets into a battle and is taken prisoner and it looks like Uzziah is a co-regent with his dad who is in captivity for about 25 years. Eventually his dad dies and finally Uzziah gets to do what he wanted to do all along. He's 16 when he takes over the throne, so he's somewhere in his, probably in his 40s, if I'm doing my math right, about 41 when he takes over the throne all on his own. And so here's what he does. He built Eloth and restored it to Judah after the king slept with his father. So after his dad died, he re- he rebuilt Eloth. Now, what in the world's Eloth? Especially when you're doing studies like this, you got to do it with a map. So when you go back home tonight, you Google Eloth or get out your Bible dictionary and look for Eloth in it and you'll find that it is a port city to the north of Israel uh, sorry to the south of Israel and so this was taken um, earlier on in Israel's history Uh, initially Solomon had used these ports uh, Eloth and the ones around it uh, to gain a lot of money as the the trade comes through that area those those ports are very lucrative Uh, but eventually as the king's uh, involve themselves in idolatry and immorality these twin twin sins just seem to keep on popping up they're bad in the northern nation they're really significant bad in the northern nation but they they find themselves creeping up on occasion in the South, even in the southern nation of Judah and so uh, the Israelites start losing land because of this and God's attempt to bring them back to himself he takes away some of their land he brings in armies and kings and peoples to uh, discipline Israel. And one of the ways that he does that is taking away the land. It was an effort to wake them up. And if anything should have done it, it should have been the removal of their land, but it, it just doesn't work. And so eventually he has to take away all of their land in the exile. And finally, that wakes them up. After the exile, they never again have a problem with idolatry. They will always worship Yahweh after the exile. Now, You know, from Jesus' day, they do not worship him correctly, and they will be immoral, but they will never again have a problem with idolatry. He solved that in the exile. Jesus came to make them see that he was the one they should have been worshiping all along, and that they should have submitted to him um, when he came preaching in the flesh. At any rate, this Eloth... um, Seaport is incredibly important. And now that it's back under Judah's control... ...it is a way of showing God's blessings on uh, Uzziah's kingship. Here's another one. Look in verse 3. Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign... ...and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. We haven't seen a king reign for more than 40 years... ...ever in all of Israel's history. Ever. Not even Solomon reigned for more than 40 years... Not even the great King David reigned for more than 40 years. Uzziah will have a co-regency with his dad, Amaziah, for about 25 years. And then he's going to have a co-regency with his own son for about 10 years, accounting for his 52-year reign. But all that said, he reigns for more than any other king in all of Judah ever reigns. It's impressive. Uh, and so when you read through these uh, these men's lives, you see these numbers and you start connecting the dots. They reign for a long time if they're righteous, right? As we've gone through that, you, you may have noted that, um, that little tidbit. If they're reigning for seven years, they weren't very righteous people. and So God takes away their throne. But if they're reigning for 52 years, He allows them to continue. Here's another little breadcrumb that we can that we put in this category it tips us off that, that Uzziah is going to uh, live a righteous life. Who's his mom? Well, his mother's name, 2 Chronicles 26.3, six three tells us, was Jekeliah of Jerusalem. Almost every time, go back through and read these stories, almost every time the king's mother is an Israelite, is, is from Judah, And not one of the pagan nations around them. Almost every time she's an Israelite from the tribe of of Judah or Benjamin, he is a righteous king. Moms, you got some serious influence, right? You may hear that again during Mother's Day. I I like that idea. But there's some pretty significant significant power here uh, in the role of this godly parent. Interestingly enough, you see multiple examples throughout these men's lives of their mothers who were pagans, and they almost all fall. They almost all fall into idolatry or immorality. This is just really interesting. So, a couple of breadcrumbs there. If his mom's an Israelite, and if he reigns for a long time, he is going to be a good king. So, let's look and see what, what he does here. Verse 4. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. So there you see Amaziah was a good king. But also um, you see here that the breadcrumbs that God has laid out for us already with his mom's name and his, his hefty reign um, has been um, confirmed for us. He was righteous. And verse 5, he set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Now, this is not the first time you've seen uh, an able counselor come alongside a new king and help him do righteous things, right? Joash, last week, had a guy named Yehoda, the priest, uh, who, as long as Yehoda was alive, Joash did righteous things. You see that same thing happening here with uh, Zechariah and his relationship with Uzziah. So don't discount the power of a righteous friend, a righteous counselor, right? Um, we tell our kids all the time the person who hates instruction is, do you know this verse? I love this verse all the time because we're not supposed to say stupid in my house. So the person who hates reproof is stupid. My kids are like, what? The person who hates reproof is stupid. And so this, uh, this Zechariah, as well as Yohada, uh, earlier with Joash, these men instructed a king in how to listen to God. And so he listened. And God made him prosper. Check out what happens in verse 6. Uh, Uzziah's life can be broken down into a couple different sections. In this first section he's doing great things and God's going to prosper him beyond his wildest dreams. Right. So he went out and he made war against the Philistines. Remember the Philistines are the ones who captured his dad and, and enslaved him for 25 years. Uh, he went out and he made war against the Philistines and broke, down, broke through the wall of Gath and the wall of Jabna and the wall of Ashdod. And he built cities in the territory of Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. He went into Philistine territory, broke down their city walls, and took their stuff. And he started building cities among the Philistine cities. And so he is a warrior king who is wise, making righteous decisions. Verse 7, he says, "...God helped him against the Philistines and the, against the Arabians who lived in Gerbal, and against the Minunites." The Ammonites paid tribute to Uzziah and his fame spread even to the border of Egypt where he became very strong. So in the north, he's got protection because there's a guy up there named Jeroboam II who is ruler in the northern kingdom of Israel and he's doing fairly well. He's been a ruler up there for about four decades by the time he dies. And so the peace between the northern nation of Israel and the southern nation of Judah is doing well. And so he's got peace up here. He's also got peace. We know now, thanks to uh, his, his conquering of the Philistines and the conquering of Amnon, he's got peace on the west and the east. And he's also got peace in the south because he's conquered Eloth. And so everything's coming up daisies. Everything's looking really good for uh, Uzziah's reign. Moreover, in verse 9, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and at the valley gate and at the angle and fortified them. Remember, the northern nation of Israel comes down and they capture Amaziah. Uh, when Amaziah picked the fight with them, with the northern nation of Israel, he couldn't win. And so they come down, they take him captive for like 25 years. They steal some stuff from the temple. They break down this massive section. It's about 400 feet of wall in, the, uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, Uzziah firms up all that stuff, rebuilds the wall, and fortifies it even beyond what it looked like before they did that. Verse 10, he built towers in the wilderness and cut out many cisterns, for he had large herds both in Shepala and in the plain, and he had farmers and vine dressers in the hills and the fertile lands, for he loved the soil. Now that's just an interesting little tidbit there. I don't know what to make of that, but that's interesting. You figure that out and tell me why he includes he loved the soil here. Verse 11 says, Moreover, Uzziah had an army of soldiers fit for war in divisions according to the numbers and the muster made by Jael, the secretary, and Messiah, the officer, under the direction of Hananiah, one of the king's commanders. And he goes through throughout the rest of this section, uh, naming off how big an army uh, Uzziah is going to have. Apparently, he's also an inventor. Uh, In verse 15, you figure out that he's put some stuff up on the, the turrets, it looks like. To kind of make it so that the archers can get to, uh, can get to their, uh, the, their prey, uh, the oncoming armies, without being hit themselves. But listen, listen to what he says uh, here in verse 15 toward the end. This is, this is where it switches from Uzziah being blessed by God. Remember, he's been helped quite a bit by God uh, to him struggling in 2 Chronicles 26, verse 15. And his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. Now the problem was, he became strong. Some things are going to happen throughout the rest of his, um, in this next little section, that are not good for Uzziah. Look in verse 16. But when he was strong, he grew strong. Proud to his destruction, for he was unfaithful to the Lord God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Now that's a problem because only priests can do that. And so Azariah, the high priest, gets a contingency of eighty priests himself, and they go and they defend the holy place and the most holy place. And they're not going to let Uzziah in. It does not matter that he is the king; he has overstepped his bounds. And they are willing to die to keep him from doing this thing. This is how he says it. This is Azariah's words in verse 18. It is not for you, Uzziah. He doesn't even call him king. He calls him Uzziah. It's not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the son of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. He's not been consecrated. He's not, he's not, he's not uh, set apart for this yet. He's not going to be set apart for this. Go out of the sanctuary. If you've done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from Yahweh your Lord. Then what happened? Then what happened? Look, look what he says in verse 19. You find this on a pretty consistent basis with these kings of, uh, of Judah, especially the last several. They'll come back from uh, doing something that they wanted to do. Usually it's a battle. They'll come back from a battle, and there will be a priest or a prophet, and he'll say, why didn't you trust the Lord? Why did you do this thing? That was evil and wicked and just not a good idea. And how does the king usually react? He usually reacts with anger. There's only been one so far in our study that's reacted with humility. Unfortunately for Uzziah, he's going to react with anger in verse 19. Now, he had a censer in his hand to burn incense, and when he became angry with the priests, guess what happens? Leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of Yahweh by the altar of incense. Now, the priests are going to see the leprosy on his, on his face and they are going to lose it. Um, they're going to rush him out, which they don't have to do too much of because he's kind of terrified himself. Uh, and he ushers himself out of the temple. And he's going to be a leper for the rest of his life. And in fact, he's not even going to be able to be buried in the temple in the, where the rest of the kings are buried. He's, he's buried in a separate place. He even lives the rest of his life in a separate place. Uh, ...all by himself. And in fact, you can go see his tomb today. They think they found it. Um, About the first century A.D., around Jesus' time... uh, ...it looks like somebody found his bones, supposedly his bones... ...and moved them uh, to this sepulcher that's on the Mount of Olives. And they've got uh, a plaque up there uh, from the first century. It says, here lies the bones of King Uzziah, king of Judah. Do not open. He was a leper. So you can go see his soon today. Uh, I'm kind of looking forward to that, if I ever get over there. So what can we learn from Uzziah? What can we learn from Uzziah? Well, like Rick read for us from Proverbs 16:18, pride comes before the fall. I want you to turn over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Listen to what he has to say to the Thessalonians. He's trying to get them ready for the second coming. He's motivating them to to become ready, to stay away from the eternal destruction and to enter into uh, God's, uh, God's eternal reward. He's trying to motivate them to do that. In verse 11 he says, To this end we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be what? May be glorified in you, in you and him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Uzziah, his problem was what? He wanted the spotlight. Paul says, if you're in the spotlight, it's because you've stolen it from the Lord Jesus. He needs to be in the spotlight. It's his, it's his spotlight to be in. Our responsibility here is to bring honor to him, to bring attention to him. Not to bring attention to me, but to bring attention to him. And so we're constantly reflecting his glory. We're constantly reflecting him, showing him, bringing attention to him, talking about him. It's not looking at me, it's talking about him. Remember the, the tax collector and the publican? What was the problem with the, tax, with, the, with the Pharisee, the publican, the old King James? Oh, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like this poor sinner over here. You know, He was pointing all this attention back at himself, wasn't he? What did the, what did the tax collector do? This very humbly was praying to God. He wouldn't even raise his eyes to heaven. His eye missed the boat. Righteous guy, good man, who's making a lot of righteous decisions. But what happened? After the Lord helped him do all these things. Look, in, look back in, in uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verse uh, 7. It says, God helped him against the Philistines. And then he conquers the Ammonites. And then he conquers, uh, he rebuilds the walls in Jerusalem. God did all those things through him. And Uzziah took the credit for it. If we're doing the same thing, if we're taking the credit for the things that God's doing, we're going to have the exact same response by God. It's condemnation and punishment. And so we reflect Him to all the ones that we meet. Tonight, if you are tired of taking all that glory, there's, there's nothing down that road for us, is there? Uh, Jesus say in Matthew 6, you've already got your reward. If that's what you're after, people think that you're better. You've already got your reward. There's nothing going to be in heaven for you. Because your reward's already been had here on earth. So if you're looking for a heavenly reward as opposed to an earthly reward, the only way to do that is to be baptized into Christ, to have your sins washed away, to become His child. And at that point, you take on His persona. You take on uh, His agenda. You do His things and you reflect His glory. It's not if you've already made the decision to become a Christian and but you've already been but you've been struggling and you just need the prayers of this congregation to be who God wants you to be. Uh, to be a person who reflects his glory in a way that is positive and beneficial to his kingdom. Why don't you come tonight as we stand and sing? Just
1: stand.
4: Good evening, Church of Christ family. Not with it today. Sorry. A <laughs> um, couple of announcements before we are dismissed. Um, as a reminder, that the uh, for middle school and high school the uh, um, holiday uh, five dollar gift exchange will be at, fr- at five o'clock at the Williams House. Also, the toy drive for the Hoops Children's Hospital will run till December seventeenth. Also, the ho- ladies for the holiday cookie exchange will be at the Trevathan's house at 6.30. All ladies are encouraged to go to that at uh, on the 16th. Also, spare time will be next Sunday from 8 to 11 at Ir- uh, in Ironton Church of Christ. Uh, is hosting spare time, so thank you for them uh, for doing that. Also, uh, great news. Um, Campbell Fulton was baptized yesterday, so that's great news. Um, uh, so maybe send him a card of encouragement. Um, and also next Sunday will be our third Sunday singing. Uh, there's a bulletin board out in the foyer to write down your favorite uh, songs. Remember to continue to keep Judy Darrell in your prayers, Roger Pryor in your prayers, Trevor Agner and Rusty Leap, Kristen Ward, uh, Kelly Williams and Dottie Diamond, and so many others that are dealing with with illnesses and sicknesses uh, during this time. Uh, So remember to continue to keep them in your prayers. Uh, That's all the announcements I have. If you had not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, it has been prepared in the conference room. You may leave and do that now. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer.
0: Our final song this evening will be number 851, Blue Skies and Rainbows. 851, Blue Skies and Rainbows. After this, Blake will have our closing prayer. Blue skies and rainbows and
1: sunbeams of heaven.
3: Pray with me. Dear God, we thank you for this day and everything you've given us. And thank you for speaking through Chris tonight and help us take what he taught us and apply it to our lives and teach others about you. And thank you for all the blessings that you've given us. And thank you for giving us a safe right here. Safe right here and please be with everyone that's been affected by natural disasters and help them know that you're watching over them and keeping them safe and helping them know that everything's going to be okay. And Thank you for Jesus on the cross, to give of our sins, and Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.